0: And that was an excerpt from Vinnie Paz singing Writings on Disobedience and Democracy. Welcome to You Can't Be Neutral, a political podcast inspired by Howard Zinn and progressive and radical activism, taking a look at society, media, and politics. You can follow on Twitter at YCBNeutral. You can find out more, including all of the back episodes, at YouCan'tBeNeutral.com i will find a link at YouCan'tBeNeutral.com to send me a message and some links to make a donation. First up is a piece written by Alan McLeod. This is published at MintPressNews.com. Unless you read the local Venezuelan press, you are unlikely to know that an American secret agent is currently standing trial in Venezuela on charges of terrorism and weapons trafficking. Matthew John Heath was arrested in September outside Amaui and Carden oil refineries in possession of a submachine gun, a grenade launcher, C4 explosives, a satellite phone, and bricks of $20 bills. The Venezuelan government also alleges that he was found carrying a small coin or badge, that CIA employees use to prove their identity to one another without raising suspicions. On Wednesday, Heath pled not guilty to all charges. Situated in Falcon State in the west of the country, the Amway and Cardon facilities are the largest refineries in the oil-rich nation, considered an enemy of the United States since it elected Socialist President Hugo Chavez in 1998. The facilities have been the site of controversy before. In 2012, a fire at the plants killed 55 people. After conducting hundreds of interviews with experts and witnesses and carrying out over 200 inspections and technical tests, the Venezuelan government claimed that the evidence of sabotage was overwhelming. A former Marine, Heath is also widely reported to have been a CIA agent serving the agency as a communications operator between 2006 and 2016, at which time he took a job at security firm MVM. For obvious reasons, the CIA does not confirm or deny the identity of its staff. Although MVM is technically a private company, it was founded by three former Secret Service agents and continues to work closely with Washington. According to business directory Dunn & Bradstreet, The firm, quote, provides security staffing and consulting services, primarily to U.S. government entities. Indeed, the only clients listed on its website are American government agencies. Quote, need a secret agent? Begins its description of the company. There is not a hint of this, however, on MVM's public-facing website, which describes the organization as merely providing extensive domain expertise in the areas of counter-narcotics, criminal and civil investigations, public safety, and national security. MVM's 800 employees, it states, are here to offer professional and administrative services, informational technology services, and mission solutions. This follows a broader trend of the U.S. government outsourcing clandestine operations to private contractors, a process that ensures there is less accountability and public scrutiny, as well as one that keeps its more controversial actions at arm's length. Quote, A lot of what we do today was done covertly 25 years ago by the CIA, said Alan Weinstein, co-founder of the National Endowment for Democracy, an organization that funds pro-American groups Worldwide. One might think that a supposedly innocent American citizen on trial for terrorism inside a hostile enemy country, facing decades behind bars in Venezuela's notorious prisons, would spark a nationwide media furor, especially as Heath claims that he was tortured while incarcerated. But far from it. In fact, there has been zero mention of the case in national U.S. media this week, including nothing in the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, ABC News, The Washington Post, Fox News, or USA Today. This is striking, as the news was published on the largest newswire service, Reuters, meaning that virtually every outlet in the West must have seen it and could freely republish it themselves or use its material for a story. Virtually the only Western media outlets touching the story were local news stations in Tennessee, Heath's home state. Yet none of those outlets mentioned Heath's alleged background as a secret agent, nor the incriminating items in possession of which he was arrested, rather presenting him as a completely innocent victim of an authoritarian regime. Few even offered an explanation as to why, amid a raging pandemic, he would leave the U.S., and go to Venezuela of all places. NBC affiliate WBIR Channel 10 was the only exception, claiming he had traveled there to gain, quote, more boating experience, a defense that is unlikely to convince many Venezuelan prosecutors. The State Department, which rarely misses an opportunity to denounce Venezuela's Maduro government for human rights transgressions, has also been largely silent over the case. Its entire comment on the situation amounts to one tweet from spokesman Ned Price, in which he tepidly asks Venezuela for a, quote, fair trial. The deafening silence from Washington and from corporate media suggests that Heath was indeed in Venezuela on official business and that the government has made a conscious decision to cut ties to him, leaving him to his fate so as to not draw more attention to its own actions. Kicking up a storm of protest would entail inviting far more scrutiny upon itself, potentially losing any plausible deniability that it is not engaged in a campaign of international terrorism against the South American nation. The United States has been carrying out a decades-long push for regime change against the Venezuelan government, supporting coup attempts, funding and training political movements and propping up self-declared President Juan Guaido as the country's rightful ruler. In January, the U.S. lost its most powerful ally in the cause as the European Union chose to stop recognizing Guaido after he lost his seat in the Venezuelan National Assembly in recent elections. And the ostracization of Venezuela and attacks on venezuela have been a a bipartisan effort one of the one of the things that uh, or another piece of evidence showing that the democrats and the republicans are not all that different especially when it comes to foreign policy in republican and democratic administrations alike um the the opposition in venezuela has been boosted Coups have been supported and sanctions have been supported. Biden is not changing course on the Trump administration and Trump's predecessors' policies in relation to Venezuela. Earlier in the year, the U.S. was similarly caught with its hand in the cookie jar after two former Green Berets led an amphibious invasion on Venezuela with the goal of shooting their way to the presidential palace and installing Guaido as a dictator. The attempt failed spectacularly, and few of the heavily armed fighters managed to even make it to land, the event quickly being dubbed Donald Trump's Bay of Piglets. Trying to defend themselves, the American mercenaries implicated a number of key figures, including Trump himself, as well as former Blackwater CEO Eric Prince. The coup plotters even claimed they met at the Trump Doral Resort in Miami. Then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo put out a half-hearted denial, claiming only that, quote, there was no U.S. government direct involvement in the botched coup attempt. Heath's case is the latest in a series of U.S. cloak-and-dagger moves against the Caribbean nation. Whether he is found guilty or not, it appears that he will be receiving no help from the U.S. government. When things go wrong in espionage, you are apparently on your own. Not only are you on your own, but you're not covered in the media. The U.S. media really it is one track, or at least the U.S. commercial media, is one track when it comes to Venezuela, and that track is whatever the U.S. government says. Here's another piece on Venezuela, the U.S. media, and the U.S. government. This is from FAIR.org. This is written by John McAvoy. UN rebuke of U.S. sanctions on Venezuela met with stunning silence. Elena Duin, the UN Special Rapporteur on the Negative Impact of Unilateral Coercive Measures on the Enjoyment of Human Rights, published her preliminary report on February 12 on the impact of U.S. and European sanctions on Venezuela. The report laid bare how a years-long campaign of economic warfare has asphyxiated Venezuela's economy, crushing the government's ability to provide basic services both before and during the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, The Venezuelan government's revenue was reported to shrink by 99%, with the country currently living on 1% of its pre-sanctions income due and found, impeding, quote, the ability of Venezuela to respond to the COVID-19 emergency. Dewin thus urged, quote, the governments of the United Kingdom, Portugal, and the United States and corresponding banks to unfreeze assets of the Venezuela Central Bank to purchase medicine, vaccines, food, medical, and other equipment. The campaign to overthrow the Venezuelan government, Duen added, quote, violates the principle of sovereign equality of states and constitutes an intervention in domestic affairs of Venezuela that also affects its regional relations. Duen's report follows a Center for Economy and Policy research paper that estimated that the sanctions were responsible for over 40,000 deaths in Venezuela in 2017 to 2018. Though sanctions were not the only factor driving economic hardship, CEPR found that they quote exacerbated Venezuela's economic crisis and made it nearly impossible to stabilize the economy, contributing further to excess deaths. All of these impacts disproportionately harmed the poorest and most vulnerable Venezuelans. Like the CEPR study, Dewan's report has been categorically ignored. Across establishment media. By omitting the devastating impact of sanctions, corporate media attribute sole responsibility for economic and humanitarian conditions to the Venezuelan government, thereby using the misery provoked by sanctions to validate the infliction of even more misery. Collective Punishment U.S. and European officials have long admitted that sanctions regime against Venezuela is collective punishment by design. Speaking to G20 foreign ministers in May 2018, then-British Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson announced, quote, The feeling I get from talking to my counterparts is that they see no alternative to economic pressure. And it's very sad Because obviously the downside of sanctions is that they can affect the population that you don't want to suffer. But in the end, things have got to get worse before they get better, and we may have to tighten the economic screw on Venezuela. On March 22, 2019, a senior U.S. government official bragged, quote, The effect of sanctions against Venezuela is continuing and cumulative, It's sort of like in Star Wars when Darth Vader constricts somebody's throat. That's what we are doing to the regime economically. A year later, as the COVID-19 virus spread globally, U.S. Attorney General William Barr gloated that the pandemic was, quote, good timing, actually. The Trump administration is taking a kind of kick-them-while-they're-down approach, seemingly with the hope that by piling on sanctions and other actions, The administration can capitalize on the virus in Iran and Venezuela to spur greater public opposition to the incumbent governments and perhaps regime change. Although sanctions do seem to be physical warfare weapons, the Lancet said, they are just as deadly, if not more so. Jeopardizing the health of populations for political ends is not only illegal, but also barbaric. Many Western journalists, however, appear not to have seen these overt declarations of collective punishment against the Venezuelan population, a crime against humanity under Article 7 of the Statute of the International Criminal Court, according to former UN expert Alfred Zayas. Loath to abandon belief in the fundamentally benign nature of Western foreign policy, corporate scribes have typically presented the devastating effects of sanctions, as mere accusation of Nicolas Maduro. Quote, Maduro said U.S. sanctions were hurting his administration's ability to buy medicines and foodstuffs was the next-to-last paragraph of a Guardian piece on COVID in Venezuela, whose subhead read, Continuing chaotic situation under Nicolas Maduro leaves hospitals and health services desperately unprepared. Often they fail to mention sanctions at all, in June 2019, for instance, The Guardian's Tom Phillips reported that quote, more than 4 million Venezuelans have now fled economic and humanitarian chaos, citing would-be coup leader Juan Guaido's claim that the country's economic collapse quote, was caused by the corruption of this regime, without making any reference to Washington's campaign of economic warfare. Keeping with Tradition Dewan's damning report has been met with stunning silence by establishment media outlets. Neither The Guardian, New York Times, Washington Post, nor BBC reported on Dewan's findings, leaving the task primarily to alternative media and the single exception of CNN, which had a report focused on the UN report and noted that Dewan's statement that sanctions, quote, constitute violations of international law. The issue is not that Western media are uninterested in Venezuela. In February 2019, the month after Juan Guaido declared himself president, The Guardian published 67 separate articles about Venezuela, regularly citing the UN on Venezuela's economic and humanitarian conditions, signaling Maduro's sole responsibility for a crisis about which, quote, something must surely be done. For example, The Guardian reported in 2019, The UN's political and peace-building chief Rosemary DiCarlo depicted a devastating collapse in Venezuela's health system, while making no reference to sanctions. Similarly, the New York Times, whose editorial board had supported 10 out of the last 12 U.S.-backed coups in Latin America since 1954, has regularly covered the deteriorating economic situation in Venezuela with, at best, only fleeting reference to U.S. and European sanctions. The New York Times in December 2020, for instance, described how, quote, Yajaira Paz, aged 35, has lost nearly everything to the Venezuelan economic crisis. Her mother dead from a heart problem she could not afford to treat. Her brothers to migration. Her faith in democracy to the nation's crippled institutions. Omitting any mention of sanctions. The Washington Post magazine in a similarly emotive article noting how, quote, the pandemic wore away even more access to basic necessities in a country racked by deepening poverty and crisis, blaming the national mismanagement of resources, and again, ignoring the existence of sanctions. Corporate media thus consistently emphasizes the gravity of Venezuela's humanitarian situation, while overlooking crucial evidence on the catastrophic impact of sanctions, fortifying the very narratives deployed to justify the economic siege against Venezuela. The collective silence over Duan's report is only the most recent case of propaganda by omission on Venezuela. By refusing to acknowledge Washington and London's fundamental role in making Venezuela's, quote, economy scream, Corporate media play a key part in manufacturing consent for regime change. So, one of the reasons why I do this podcast is to highlight these stories that the mainstream media is either getting wrong or completely ignoring. So, if... I find that it's compelling and I think more people need to know about it and the corporate media is doing its um, poor job of communicating the important news and its outstanding job of obfuscating and hiding the important news than... That's what I'm here for. That's what the alternative media is here for. So here is the United States Human Rights Office of the High Commissioners preliminary findings of the visit to the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela by the Special Rapporteur on the negative impact of unilateral coercive measures on the enjoyment of human rights. I do take issue... With the term unilateral coercive measures, I think that it is uh, a a bit of double speak while it may accurately portray the what sanctions are. It's really a long, more complex, perhaps more precise, but a little less straightforward way of saying sanctions. Um, Unilateral coercive measures. Unilateral means that it's not a collective action. It's an action taken by a state or sometimes multiple states, but not in a coordinated international manner. Coercive, it is forcing someone to do what you want by um, restricting their access to their means of survival. Other way there are other ways to coerce people through violence as well is a coercive measure and sanctions are are violent the 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 result of sanctions is violence against people it's e- it's economic violence it's not loading a gun and shooting them it's not taking a knife and stabbing them but it is <clears throat> The imposition of a hardship that causes them harm. You can find this uh, preliminary findings report at OHCHR.org. Caracas, 12 February 2021. The United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Negative Impact of Unilateral Coercive Measures on the Enjoyment of Human Rights, Ms. Alina Dewin, visited the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela from 1 to 12 February 2021. She thanks the government of the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela for enabling and supporting her visit to the country. The purpose of the visit was to assess the impact of unilateral sanctions on the enjoyment of human rights by people living in Venezuela and any other affected people. In fact, the Biden administration just granted um, temporary, temporary protected status to refugees from Venezuela that are in the United States. And one of the primary reasons that there is an an influx of refugees from Venezuela in other countries is the sanctions regime imposed by the U.S. So when when some politicians rail about the immigrants coming to our border, they rarely take responsibility for our role in the. Situations within those home countries that cause them to flee. The situations of war, the situations of poverty that we impose in alliance with governments, elected or non-elected governments in those countries. Those are some of the primary forces driving refugees from South America and Central American countries to come to the United States to try to make some semblance of a life for themselves. These observations are of preliminary character, result of extensive consultations with a wide range of interlocutors. The full report will be presented to the United Nations Human Rights Council in September 2021. The Special Rapporteur met the President and Vice President of the Republic, the Vice Presidents in charge of the Economic Area, of Planning, of Citizen Security, of Public Works and Services, of the Social Area, and the Ministers of Foreign Affairs, Health, Education, Planning, Economy, Finance, Petroleum, Mining, Alimentation, and Education, Women and Gender Equality, Blockade, Housing, Social Work, Science, Technology, Transportation, Social Work, Culture, and Indigenous Peoples. The Heads of the Judicial, Citizen, and Electoral Powers. The Presidents of PDVSA and the Central Bank. Leaders of various political parties. Representatives of trade unions of the private sector, including the president of FEDECAMARAS, of the Venezuelan Episcopal Conference, of national and international humanitarian organizations, as well as other Venezuelan non-governmental actors working in the field of health, human rights, child protection, women and the elderly, medical personnel and victims, university professors and school teachers, as well as independent researchers, among others. The special rapporteur also met with representatives of the United Nations country team and of the diplomatic community. She visited the Children's Heart Hospital, the Quimbotec Pharmaceutical Plant, the Canamita Complex, the Hugo Chavez Elementary School, and the Ciudad Mariche Preschool outside Caracas. In the state of Carabobo, the governor facilitated a meeting with the directors of the public companies, water, electric, gas, and telecoms, the maternity attached to the state hospital, one of the provincial primary health centers inspired by the Cuban model, and several non governmental organizations. The special rapporteur extends her thanks and gratitude to all these interlocutors who have generously offered their time, information, analysis, experiences, and thoughts to help her understand in a short time what has proved to be a very complex and alarming situation. The Special Rapporteur commends the warm, welcome, constructive, and cooperative way in which the government facilitated her visit, which enabled a frank and open dialogue. She expressed her particular thanks to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for its efficient engagement with her office. She also thanks the United Nations Resident Coordinator's Office for its support and advice throughout the visit. Country Visit Context The United States has imposed sanctions against Venezuela since 2015, when it introduced targeted sanctions against individuals and entities allegedly involved in drug trafficking. It imposed an arms embargo in 2016 on grounds that the government was failing to cooperate sufficiently in anti-terrorism efforts. A 2014 U.S. law led to sanctions against Venezuelan officials blamed for inter alia, violently repressing protests, persecuting political opponents, curtailing press freedoms and corruption. In 2015, the United States declared Venezuela's situation a national emergency, threatening U.S. security and foreign policy. Side note, that was a ridiculous joke. The situation in Venezuela did not threaten U.S. security and foreign policy. In 2017, the United States denounced the election of a constituent assembly in Venezuela as illegitimate and imposed sanctions against the government and its entities, including PDVSA, blocking their transactions and access to U.S. financial markets. In 2018, after Venezuelan presidential elections, the United States tightened its sanctions against the government, citing economic mismanagement, corruption, repression of political opponents, and efforts to undermine democracy. In January 2019, after recognizing the newly elected president of the National Assembly as Venezuela's interim president, The United States imposed further sanctions against PDVSA, the Venezuelan central bank, and key government officials, and it imposed a total economic embargo in August 2019. The United States also gave the self-proclaimed interim president the control of the Venezuelan government's assets and property in U.S. bank accounts, including money going to PDVSA from its U.S. unit, Citgo. Other U.S. sanctions in 2018 and 2019 targeted the gold and other mining, food, cryptocurrency, and banking sectors. In September 2020, U.S. sanctions were imposed on five legislators from the opposition for allegedly acting, quote, as part of a broader scheme to manipulate parliamentary elections taking place in December 2020. Since 2020, the United States has tried to block Venezuela from getting fuel from Iran, by listing captains of oil tankers, prohibiting the use of Venezuelan air and seaports, and blocking assets of Rosneft. U.S. officials are reported to have made unofficial threats to prevent transactions by third-state companies with Venezuela. The Special Rapporteur takes note of the U.S. government decision of 21 January 2020 to revise U.S. sanctions to minimize the humanitarian impact of the pandemic and the U.S. government action on 2 February 2021 to ease sanctions affecting the functioning of ordinary operations at Venezuela ports and airports. The European Union imposed sanctions against Venezuela in 2017, including an arms embargo, a ban on exports of other goods that might be used for internal repression, a ban on exports of technology and material made for telecommunications monitoring or interception, and travel bans and asset freezes on individuals whose actions were deemed by the EU to undermine democracy, the rule of law, and respect for human rights, which have been contested by Venezuela before the European Court of Justice. It was also reported that $1.2 billion in Venezuelan government funds have been frozen by a Portuguese bank in 2019. Nearly $2 billion in gold owned by the Central Bank of Venezuela and held in the Bank of England is also frozen as a case proceeds in British courts. In 2017 and 2018, Canada froze assets and banned dealings in the property of Venezuelan officials accused of repression, gross human rights violations, corruption, censorship, extrajudicial killings, and other acts. In 2018, Mexico froze assets and imposed travel bans on 13 senior Venezuelan officials. In 2018 and 2019, Switzerland imposed an arms embargo on Venezuela and froze assets and imposed travel bans against Venezuelan officials. In 2019, Colombia banned the entry of around 200 Venezuelans with government ties. Panama imposed targeted sanctions against Venezuelan individuals and entities in 2018, considered to be at high risk of engaging in money laundering, terrorist financing, and proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. In 2019, 13 of the 14 Lima Group countries agreed to ban the entry of Venezuelan officials and deny them access to their financial systems. Also in 2019, a majority of parties to the Rio Treaty approved a resolution allowing targeted sanctions, including asset freezes, against Venezuelan officials alleged to participate in drug trafficking, terrorist activities, organized crime, and or human rights violations. On 13 February 2020, Venezuela submitted a referral to the International Criminal Court pursuant to Article 14 of the Rome Statute with respect to unilateral coercive measures. Economic and humanitarian situation in Venezuela Venezuela has one of the largest reserves of oil on the planet oil has been the main export of the country and the main source of revenue and foreign exchange since 2000 the government has announced the implementation of a broad scope of social projects in the spheres of housing education literacy food electricity and water supplies health care family planning computer literacy, and commune development, many of which were implemented at no cost to the people or were substantially subsidized by the state. The mono-oriented economy has been highly dependent on oil sales. Most products from machinery and spare parts to food and medicine have been imported primarily from the United States and Europe. Internal production has remained at a rather low level and could not meet the needs of internal consumption. The economy's decline started in 2014 with a downturn in oil prices. Among other factors reported to affect the economy of Venezuela, mismanagement, corruption, and state price controls have been cited. Unilateral sanctions increasingly imposed by the United States the European Union, and other countries have exacerbated the above-mentioned challenges. The government's revenue was reported to shrink by 99%, with the country currently living on 1% of its pre sanctions income. Remittances from abroad have decreased due to the blocking of state assets and the complexity of, and impediments to, bank transfers. Four years of hyperinflation have resulted in the total devaluation of the national currency. One U.S. dollar equals 1.8 to 1.9 million bolivars. This has resulted in the decrease of public sector salaries from 150 to 500 U.S. dollars in 2015 to 1 to 10 U.S. dollars in 2020 and a growing poverty level. In 2018-2019, to the government introduced new economic policies, price controls was lifted, and the private sector was allowed to re-enter the economy. However, the hardening of sanctions faced by the country since 2015 undermines the potential positive impact of the current reforms, as well as the state's capacity to maintain infrastructure and implement social projects. Today, Venezuela faces a lack of necessary machinery, spare parts, electricity, water, fuel, gas, food, and medicine. Venezuelan assets frozen in the United States, United Kingdom, and Portuguese banks amount to $6 U.S. billion. The purchase of goods and payments by public companies are reportedly blocked or frozen. The private sector, non-governmental organizations, universities, sports clubs, and citizens of Venezuela are reporting the rejection or reluctance of foreign banks to open or keep their bank accounts, including those with correspondent banks in the United States and Europe. Difficulties with getting visas and buying tickets, the need to act via third country agents, and the need to pay extra insurance costs. The strengthening of economic sanctions and growing overcompliance resulted in the adoption of the anti-blockade constitutional law in October 2020. It has been reported that electricity lines are able to work at less than 20% of their capacity today. The number of Venezuelans who have left the country in search of a better life since 2015 is estimated to range between 1 and 5 million with the population decreasing to approximately 27 million by 2021. Most public services have been depleted of 30 to 50 percent of their personnel, including their most qualified ones, doctors, nurses, engineers, teachers, professors, judges, police officers, etc., resulting in internal disorganization, increased workloads for remaining personnel, reduced services, and a decline in their quality. An estimated 90% of households are connected to the National Water Distribution System. Numerous households, however, report frequent cuts because of electricity outages affecting water pumps and the maintenance of infrastructure, and because of the shortage of qualified maintenance staff. The distribution of water can only be made in rotation to ensure its delivery to the entire population, and the majority of households can only get access to water once or twice per week for several hours. Due to the trade impediments, the use of chemical agents to treat and purify the water to make it potable has been reduced by 30%. Impediments to food imports, constituting more than 50% of food consumption, have resulted in the steady growth of malnourishment in the past six years, with more than 2.5 million people being severely food insecure. Coping mechanisms include a decrease of the number of meals per day, one or two instead of three, reduced quantity and quality of food, decapitalization or selling of household assets to eat, and reduced health, clothing, and education expenses. With correlated increases in family crisis, tensions, violence, and separations, child labor, involvement in the gray economy, criminal activity, including drug and human trafficking, forced labor and migration. The CLAP Food Boxes Program started as a government initiative in 2017 and covering 6 million households around the country decreases the diversity of items. Side note, very interesting, but I I guess not entirely surprising result of the sanctions forcing people into the illegal economy, including drug and human trafficking, one of the um, excuses for imposing the sanctions in the first place was that the uh, officials that the sanctions were imposed upon were involved in drug trafficking. And then the, the, the impending result of the sanctions and the poverty that those sanctions caused lead more people to involve themselves in drug trafficking. Venezuela has been almost entirely dependent upon medicine imported from abroad, while the majority of public medical services were provided by the state free of charge before 2016. Impediments to healthcare include a lack or severe insufficiency of medicines and vaccines, price growth, electricity shortages to supply equipment, water shortages and sanitation problems that affect hygiene, decaying infrastructure because of lack of maintenance, the absence of spare parts, the unavailability of new equipment due to lack of resources or refusals to sell or deliver, degraded working conditions, and a lack of protective equipment against infectious diseases, a loss of staff in all medical areas because of low salaries, and the termination of construction of hospitals and primary healthcare centers. In particular, the Children's Cardiology Hospital in Caracas faces five times decrease of the number of surgeries from an average of 1000 interventions annually in the period of 2010 to 2014 to 162 in 2020. Medical staff positions in public hospitals are 50 to 70% vacant only around 20% of medical equipment is currently functional. The country faced severe shortages of vaccines against measles, yellow fever, and malaria in 2017 and 2018. The lack of tests and treatment for HIV in 2017 and 2018 reportedly resulted in severe rise of the death rate. The diversion of assets of PDVSA's United States subsidiary Citgo has prevented transplants of liver and bone marrow to 53 Venezuelan children. Such transplants were reportedly done in Italy and Argentina before 2016 at the expense of the state. The Special Rapporteur also notes the reported growth of neonatal and maternal mortality since 2013, with a slight improvement in 2019, when humanitarian cooperation with UNICEF, PAHO, church, and other humanitarian organizations was activated. Other deleterious effects of the crisis are the growing issue of teenage pregnancy, which is rising to a crisis level with girls of 12 to 13 years getting pregnant amid a lack of access to information about and use of contraception, and an increase of HIV-AIDS because of unprotected relations. School and university education has faced a serious decrease in government support since 2016, including the termination or reduction of the supply of school uniforms, shoes, backpacks, and office supplies, and a reduction of the number of daily meals at school from two to one, the diminution of their quantity and food diversity, or their total cancellation. Down availability of financial resources and reluctance of foreign companies to trade with Venezuelan public and often private institutions has resulted in the suspension of the Canaima program, started in 2015 to assemble compact, portable computers for educational purposes, 6.5 million of which have reportedly been distributed through the school system at no charge. Technical incidents in 2019 incapacitated the public Venezuelan satellite, substantially shrinking Internet coverage in the country and making distant learning in the course of the pandemic hardly possible. In the face of the economic and humanitarian crises, the Venezuelan government activated cooperation with UNDP, UNICEF, UNAIDS, PAHO, and other international agencies as well as church, private sector, and humanitarian NGOs providing humanitarian aid, facilitating some reconstruction of water systems and supplies of vaccines, medicines, tests, reagents, school supplies, and food. Attempts to release funds frozen in the Bank of England for buying medicine, vaccines, protective kits, and medical equipment via the UNDP and PAHO in 2020 have failed, however. Funds have not been released for the purchase of COVAX via PAHO in 2020 and 2021. Despite the intensification of work with humanitarian actors, some cases of surveillance and prosecution of the staffs of national NGO involved in humanitarian work have been reported. Assessment of the Legal Basis for Imposition of Sanctions The Special Rapporteur considers that the state of national emergency announced by the United States government on 8 March 2015 as the ground for introducing sanctions against Venezuela and repeatedly extended does not correspond to the requirements of Article 4 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, such as the existence of a threat to the life of the nation, the limiting of measures to the exigencies of the situation, a limited duration, the absence of discrimination, the prohibition to derogate from the right of life, and the prohibition of punishment of activity that does not constitute a criminal offense, as referred to in the communication of human rights experts of 29 January 2021. The Special Rapporteur underlines that unilateral sanctions against the oil, gold, mining, and other economic sectors The state-owned airline and the TV industry constitute a violation of international law, and their wrongfulness is not excluded with reference to countermeasures. The announced purpose of the, quote, maximum pressure campaign to change the government of Venezuela violates the principle of sovereign equality of states and constitutes an intervention in the domestic affairs of Venezuela that also affects its regional relations. Referring to customary norms on the immunity of state property, the Special Rapporteur reminds that assets of the central bank and property used for public functions belong to the state of Venezuela rather than to its government or any individual. Therefore, freezing assets of the central bank of Venezuela on the ground of non-recognition of its government as well as the adoption of relevant sanctions violates the sovereign rights of the country and impedes its effective government to exercise its duty to guarantee the needs of the population. The Special Rapporteur underlines that the listing of state officials ex officio contradicts the prohibition on punishment for activity which does not constitute a criminal offense, prevents the officials from the possibility to represent the interests of Venezuela in international courts and other international institutions, and undermines the principle of sovereign equality of states. She also notes that the repeated refusals of banks in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Portugal to release Venezuelan assets even for buying medicine, vaccines, and protective kits under the control of international organizations violates the above principle and impedes the ability of Venezuela to respond to the COVID-19 emergency. The Special Rapporteur is concerned that unilateral targeted sanctions in their existing form violate, at the very least, obligations emerging from universal and regional instruments in the sphere of human rights, many of which are of a peremptory character. Procedural guarantees and presumption of innocence with a view that the grounds for their introduction do not constitute, for the most part, international crimes or comply with the grounds for universal criminal jurisdiction— while noting the fact of the submission to the International Criminal Court by a group of states of a referral against Venezuela on 27 September 2018. The special rapporteur underlines that applying extraterritorial jurisdiction to nationals and companies of third states for cooperation with public authorities, nationals, and companies in Venezuela, and alleged threats to such third state parties, is not justified under international law and increases the risks of overcompliance with sanctions. The Special Rapporteur notes with concern the reported threats to private business and third-country donors, partners and humanitarian organizations, and the introduction of secrecy clauses in the Venezuela anti-blockade constitutional law as concerns the identity of corresponding partners. Impact on Enjoyment of human rights the special rapporteur notes with concern that sectoral sanctions on the oil gold and mining industries the economic blockade of venezuela and the freezing of central bank assets have exacerbated pre-existing economic and humanitarian situation by preventing the earning of revenues and the use of resources to develop and maintain infrastructure and for social support programs which has a devastating effect on the whole population of Venezuela, especially those in extreme poverty, women, children, medical workers, people with disabilities or life-threatening chronic diseases, and the indigenous population. The Special Rapporteur underlines that existing humanitarian exemptions are ineffective and insufficient, subject to lengthy and costly procedures, and do not cover the delivery of spare parts, equipment, and machinery necessary for maintenance and restoration of the economy and public services. The Special Rapporteur is concerned that the application of extraterritorial secondary sanctions, as well as the reported threats of sanctions, result in overcompliance with existing sanctions regimes, preventing the government of Venezuela, its public sector and private companies from purchasing machinery, spare parts, medicine, food, agricultural supplies, and other essential goods even within the licenses issued by the U.S. government and also results in a growing number of bank transfer refusals, the extension of bank transfer periods from 2 to 45 days, higher delivery, insurance, and bank transfer costs, as well as reported price rises for all, especially imported, goods. Special Rapporteur notes with concern that the absence of resources and reluctance of foreign partners, banks, and delivery companies to deal with Venezuelan partners results in the impossibility to buy necessary medical and technological equipment, reagents, and spare parts for the repair and maintenance of electricity, gas, water, public transport, telephone and communication systems, schools, hospitals, houses, and other public institutions thus undermining the enjoyment of many human rights, including the right to a decent life. Despite the periodic review and increase of wages in Venezuela, the average public sector salary is estimated at U.S. 2 to $3 per month, covering less than 1% of the basic food basket and making people increasingly dependent on social support by the government in the form of CLAP, which is food distribution, and regular monthly transfers via Carnet de la Patria, multiple subsidies for public servants, as well as foreign humanitarian aid. The Special Rapporteur notes that this increases the level of migration, facilitates the involvement of people in the grey economy, affecting on the first-hand high-level public sector specialists, including doctors, nurses, teachers, university professors, engineers, police officers, judges, technicians, and many others, violating their economic rights, including the rights to work, to decent labor, to social security, including social insurance, to an adequate standard of living. The number of, vac- of vacancies among personnel necessary to guarantee the normal functioning of public services has reportedly reached one-third one-half. Massive migration in the absence of affordable transportation endangers the lives of migrants and imposes additional burdens on recipient countries. Access to food, medicine and medical help for Venezuelan migrants, the unavailability of IDs for children born abroad, the separation of families and the absence of due care for children left with grandparents in Venezuela have been reported among other problems. The Special Rapporteur is also concerned that the lack of doctors and nurses and of sufficient medicines, medical equipment, spare parts, relevant software updates, vaccines, tests, reagents, and contraceptives, initially covered mostly by the government, results in the violation of the right to the highest attainable state of health. Rising rates of maternal, neonatal, and infant mortality – and mortality from severe diseases, oncology, HIV, hemophilia, Julian Barr syndrome, cardiological problems, and many others. The deterioration of living conditions for people with special needs and chronic diseases, and more adolescent pregnancies. The unavailability of resources, including the frozen assets for buying vaccines and supporting family planning programs, has resulted in outbreaks of malaria, measles, and yellow fever, and opportunistic infections. The Special Rapporteur is concerned that the lack of gasoline with the resulting rise in transportation prices violates the freedom of movement impedes access to hospitals, schools, and other public services, exacerbates the challenges in delivering and distributing food and medical supplies, especially in remote areas of the country, affecting inter alia, the indigenous population, and results in delays in public services, including criminal and civil justice. The reported lack of diesel fuel, mostly used for agricultural, industrial, and transportation purposes, A potential dramatic effect on the production and storage of food, with the risk of further exacerbating the food insecurity of the Venezuelan people who already face deterioration in the quality and quantity of food and greater malnutrition, increasing therefore health risks and threats to life. The special rapporteur notes with concern that due to the unavailability of new machinery, spare parts, and competent staff, The people of Venezuela have limited access to electricity, impeding inter alia the functioning of water pumps, resulting in the violation of the right to water, including drinking water and water for sanitation, increasing risks of relevant diseases. The special rapporteur underlines that low salaries, the absence or insufficiency of school supplies, school uniforms, and food at school, which used to be provided by the government, Transportation problems, the absence of electricity, and reduced internet and mobile phone coverage endanger the exercise of the right to education. The above reasons, as well as a reported impossibility to use online resources with Venezuelan IP addresses, affect access to information and the freedom of expression. The reported reluctance of foreign partners to cooperate with Venezuelan institutions, including universities, sports societies, and NGOs, as well as the impediments to money transfers, difficulties in getting visas, and refusals to open and the closing of bank accounts of Venezuelan citizens or Venezuelan-based public and private companies because of the fear of secondary sanctions, affect the right to education, academic freedoms, cultural rights, and impedes the delivery of humanitarian aid. The Special Rapporteur is also concerned that the shortages of gas forcing people to cook with wood fires can violate the right to a favorable environment. She notes that due to the necessity to guarantee human needs essential for survival, the government has reportedly suspended all programs aimed at achieving the sustainable development goals, including agricultural and health projects, environmental protection, the enhancement of literacy and computer literacy, and reconstruction. The special rapporteur underlines that the blocking of property, assets, and bank accounts of citizens of Venezuela by foreign and correspondent banks, quite often because of overcompliance, results in the violation of the right to property. She also notes with concern that the application of unilateral sanctions against Venezuela affects the rights of third-country nationals in particular the termination of contracts with third-country companies, has a potential risk of affecting economic and property rights of their owners and employees. and the absence of contributions from Venezuela, which used to donate to its regional assistance projects, for example, ALBA, is negatively affecting the right to humanitarian aid of its beneficiaries beyond Venezuela's borders. The Special Rapporteur recognizes... The targeted and secondary sanctions violate rights to a fair trial, procedural guarantees, freedom of movement, property rights, and the right to reputation. Sanctions against representatives of opposition groups for participation in elections violate their right to hold and express opinions and to participate in public affairs. While the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union, Article 275, Offers listed persons the possibility to access the European Court of Justice, even if there are no procedural guarantees before sanctions decisions are taken. The Special Rapporteur notes that no access to justice is guaranteed as concerns U.S. sanctions, especially in view of numerous reported refusals by U.S. lawyers to bring cases to OFAC because of reported threats from U.S. government or fear of hypothetical sanctions. The Special Rapporteur concludes that sanctions imposed against Venezuela, its citizens, and companies affect people in Venezuela and beyond its territory in both the public and private sectors. Third-country nationals and employees of third-country companies affected by secondary sanctions or the fear of them. Donors and international humanitarian NGOs Beneficiaries of assistance from international organizations traditionally financed by Venezuela. While low-income people, women, children, and people with special needs or chronic or severe diseases are affected most with regard to the whole scope of human rights, including civil, political, economic, social, and cultural rights and the right to development. The special rapporteur welcomes reports of the Venezuelan government's greater engagement with UNDP, UNICEF, UNAIDS, PAHO, and other international agencies and church, private sector, and humanitarian NGOs in providing humanitarian aid, facilitating some reconstruction of water systems and supplies of vaccines, medicines, tests, reagents, school supplies, and food, thus helping around 4 million people. The Special Rapporteur is, however, concerned about reports of mismanagement in the distribution of humanitarian aid, surveillance and prosecution of the staffs of national NGOs involved in humanitarian work, and the absence of provisional regulations for the work of international NGOs. Recommendations of the Special Rapporteur The Special Rapporteur reminds all parties of their obligation under the UN Charter to observe principles and norms of international law, including principles of sovereign equality, political independence, non-intervention in the domestic affairs of states, and peaceful settlement of international disputes. She urges them to settle any disputes via competent judicial and other international institutions. The Special Rapporteur stresses that humanitarian concerns shall always prevail over political ones and that unilateral measures may only be taken with due account of the rule of law, human rights law, refugee law, and humanitarian law, must comply with states' international legal obligations and may only be applied in the course of internationally lawful countermeasures. The Special Rapporteur reminds that preliminary and continuous assessments of the humanitarian impact shall be done in the course of any unilateral activity, as no good intention justifies the violation of fundamental human rights as collateral damage. The Special Rapporteur underlines in the inadmissibility of applying sanctions extraterritorially, and urges the U.S. government to end the national emergency regarding venezuela revise and lift sectoral sanctions against venezuelan public sector review and lift secondary sanctions against third state parties and refrain of imposing sanctions on diesel supplies that would provoke a humanitarian crisis of unprecedented proportion the special rapporteur urges all interlocutors including states international organizations banks, private companies, and civil society, to avoid coercion, written or oral threats, or any other act which may cause or result in overcompliance, and to interpret all limitations in the narrowest possible way in the interim period before the lifting of unilateral sanctions with due account of the guidance issued by the Special Rapporteur in December 2020. The Special Rapporteur calls on all states to review and lift targeted sanctions in accordance with principles of international law, the rule of law, human rights, and refugee law, to guarantee the possibility of state officials of Venezuela to represent the state on the basis of the principle of sovereign equality of states, and to guarantee the rights of targeted individuals to the presumption of innocence, procedural guarantees, access to justice, and other fundamental rights. The special rapporteur urges the governments of the United Kingdom, Portugal and the United States and corresponding banks to unfreeze assets of the Venezuelan central bank to purchase medicine, vaccines, food, medical and other equipment, spare parts and other essential goods to guarantee humanitarian needs of the people of Venezuela and the restoration of public services in collaboration with and through mutually agreed mechanisms monitored by UNDP and other UN agencies. While recognizing a devastating effect of unilateral sanctions on the broad scope of human rights, especially the right to food, right to health, right to life, right to education, and right to development, the Special Rapporteur calls the government of Venezuela and the Office of High Commissioner for Human Rights to implement fully the cooperation agreement signed between them, to strengthen the OHCHR presence on the grounds to monitor inter alia, the impact of unilateral sanctions, and to organize visits of relevant special procedures to the country. The special rapporteur calls on the government of Venezuela, the UNDP, other UN agencies, and OHCHR in Venezuela to negotiate an agreement to guarantee the transparent, fair, non-discriminatory distribution of essential goods and humanitarian aid under the control of international institutions regardless of race gender nationality age religious belief or political views with due account of groups with special needs the special rapporteur calls on the Venezuelan government working with the UN resident coordinator and OHCHR in Venezuela to finish drafting clear and non-discriminatory legislation enabling and facilitating humanitarian work by international and national NGOs in Venezuela and to guarantee security and integrity of their personnel. At the same time, she refers to the obligation of humanitarian NGOs to abide by standards of purely humanitarian activity. And that is the end of the Special Rapporteur's Preliminary Report. Uh, That very last part ties me back to the first story about the uh, American citizen armed to the teeth at an an electrical plant in Venezuela and and how that person got there and under what uh, cover were they in the country at all, if they were even in the country legally. It is not uh, beyond historic uh, accuracy to say that non-governmental organizations have sometimes been willingly or unwillingly infiltrated by individuals with ulterior motives. It's it's very unfortunate because those non-governmental organizations, in in many cases, provide very fi- vital services and um, goods to allow the humans they're supporting to live some semblance of a reasonable life that paints a very grim picture of Venezuela and, and things in many ways are very grim there, but that's not the entire picture. It's not only grimness and devastation and and poverty throughout the country under these extraordinarily challenging conditions under this sanctions regime designed to choke the life out of the Venezuelan economy and very effectively doing so the the government and the people in the country are showing resilience in supporting each other, doing what they can to share and live and sometimes thrive on extraordinarily low resources, all of which are either created or exacerbated by U.S. sanctions. It's, it's now impossible, unless you're the corporate media, to look at Venezuela and its current struggles as a failure on the part of the Venezuelan government, unless you are just openly being disingenuous to disregard the U.S., U.K., and other nations' unilateral sanctions on Venezuela as a a great portion of the cause of the current situation there is, is intentional obfuscation. It's intentionally lying about the situation to promote an ulterior agenda and that ulterior agenda clearly from the perspective of the U.S. is regime change, um, something that we like to fret about uh, when, uh, you know, operatives, quote unquote, from Russia are trying to influence our election um, or from other places trying to influence our election. We like to wring our hands and fret about that in our commercial media and and when we're doing when our government is doing an overwhelmingly oppressive violation of the human rights of another nation in order to influence those people to either overthrow or vote out their existing government. That's not as that's not something that our corporate media any interest in covering because our corporate media serves the needs of our government. That'll wrap up this episode of You Can't Be Neutral. If you want to uh, check out all the back episodes, you can find those at youcantbeneutral.com. You can follow me on Twitter at YCBNeutral. You can listen to this and all my podcasts playing 24-7 at Moving Train Radio. Dot com. Now,
1: a moment of Zen. Thanks for listening. So yes, the history is, is useful. Uh, and and uh, not the history that you get in the traditional textbooks, uh, but the history that a, a citizen learns for himself or herself when a citizen goes to the library or when a citizen, citizen listens to the independent media when a citizen reads alternative uh, journals instead of simply, you know, watching CNN, you know, and Fox News. So yes, history is very useful. It still is today. And I think that one of the things we might learn from history, and this is a very, very important conclusion to get from the long history of this country, is that the government's interests are not necessarily the same as ours. In fact, are rarely the same as ours. Uh, because if you think that the government's interests are the same as yours, then you think, well, if something is going wrong, it must be that they made a mistake, because they really care about us. They don't care about us. The government does not care about its own soldiers. If it did, it would not send its soldiers into the quagmires of Vietnam in Iraq. It would not send them into a situation where they're going to come back maimed or without arms or legs or they come back with their psyche destroyed if they really cared about the soldiers and cared about the families of the soldiers. It would not be taking the the wealth of this country and squandering it on $500 billion this year on on a military budget. Uh, That's a hard thing to grasp that the government does not have the same interest as us. It's hard to grasp because we grow up in a culture where the, the language of the culture predisposes us to think, yes, we have a common interest. The, the Constitution starts off in a preamble, we the people of the United States, you know, establish this. It wasn't we the people who established the Constitution, it was 55 rich white men.